Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Surviving this insane world as a gifted woman. Hi, everybody. I have Nicole White with me, and she's coming to you from Philadelphia, and I'm coming to you from Winston-Salem. And we're going to talk about what it's like as intense and sensitive gifted women trying to walk through this often crazy world. Now, Nicole has a lot of credentials in this area, and you can read those in the show notes because we're not going to waste our time on this interview going over all the education and credentials the two of us have, plenty of them. So go to the show notes, check out her links, learn about her. Um, we're on LinkedIn together, and we I watch everything she puts up. And it's all really good. So, Nicole, thank you for taking the time out of your day and coming here to Someone Gets Me and having this conversation about a very tricky topic, but a very important topic. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Diane. And I just want to say how grateful I am to have found you and this podcast and your work as well. Um, you've enlightened me on a lot of things in my own. So thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so I'm so glad. I'm glad we found each other. It feels really fun. It does. I want to start off this um, talking a little bit about what it was like for you when you learned, figured out, or discovered, whatever word you want to use, that you were a gifted person. Like, how was that when that was all uncovered? It's funny. My story is, is a bit of a seesaw. So I can think back to being a child, being in kindergarten. And what I used to do during playtime, you know, you have kids, you know, hitting each other and having blocks and <laughs> that whole thing. And here I am sitting in the corner reading a book. Um, and it's funny because my kindergarten teachers, my mom later told me this story. I remember parts of it, but she told me that my kindergarten teachers came to her and said, well, you know, we kind of think that she might have some type of you know, disability. All she does is sit and stares out the window or just sits in with the book. And, you know, what's wrong with her kind of thing. And through that, um, they actually discovered that I actually could read, not only that, but at a third grade level in kindergarten. So that was kind of my first introduction into, I, I guess I'm a little bit more advanced than the rest of the people of my age kind of thing. But then it kind of died out because it was squashed. It was, you know, you're not really better than anyone else. Don't try to be, um, they recommended putting me up a couple of grades. My mom said, no, I don't, I don't want her to do that. I want her to be with everyone else. Um, so fast forward through school, you know, then advanced placement classes, but, you know, pretty normal experience aside from bullying, and which we'll probably touch on at some point. And the workplace, um, you don't notice how different you are to yourself. Everyone else can see it, but you don't. And I had a coworker pull me aside, actually, one day. Um, I was really frustrated going through a lot with my team. I was a new supervisor. And she pulled me in the office and said, do you understand why people react to you this way? Do you understand why people treat you this way? And I'm like, no, <laughs> please tell me, enlighten me, please. She's like, you're gifted. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm smart, but that doesn't mean treat me horrible. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Like, I didn't connect at that time either. I just had periods in life where I was made aware of it, but I just didn't connect until really recently. Actually, I'd say 
the last six months or so, really. Um, having similar experiences in different workplaces, having the gifted experience of moving from job to job and not really feeling fulfilled, um, and digging in to try to figure out what was wrong with me. <laughs> That's kind of where it started. And I thought back to some of the stories I just shared with you with, you know, the kindergarten thing and the workplaces and the coworkers. And said, well, what, what is this gifted thing? Um, I went through looking at literature about Asperger's, about autism, and started seeing some of myself in some of those too. So I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm autistic. Maybe I have Asperger's. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some other explanation of what's wrong with me until I discovered giftedness. Um, as literature and research goes, and some of your work and the work of um, Mary Elaine Jacobson, I think her name is, uh, her book, The Gifted Adult. And I really started to see myself in that, in those stories and those people. And like, and then it finally connected. That's when it finally <laughs> went off for me, like, oh, oh, <laughs> it was one of those moments. And through all of that, it never really clicked until now, and I'm 40 years old. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's clicking now. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so tell me, tell a little bit about what I'm interested in is some of the challenges that you've gone through in like work or in school where mm-hmm. like you were naive to being gifted, but yet other people could see it. You didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you started out looking for what's wrong with you, but really it's something that's right with you, but you didn't know that at first. So what are some of the experiences, just if you can just think of a couple that pop off your head that you've had to live through um, because you just didn't know? Uh, (laughs) That could get really deep. Um, Growing up, I was pretty much ostracized from the rest of my family. Um, Everyone else was, you know, the typical, I guess, kid for lack of a better way of saying it and Again, I was that kid that would just sit and read books or, you know, play by myself, make up imaginary friends, like kind of a typical, stereotypical, almost gifted child story. And I I just don't think my family understood it. And I was just othered as, you know, she's over there kind of, you know, didn't help being one of the youngest in the family either. So my older sister and cousins, they were always together and, you know, always connecting. And I was just always kind of left to my own it was kind of lonely but at the same time I had gotten used to and okay with being by myself so it didn't feel bad at the time I was going through it it just felt like that's the way that things were right because I didn't understand it yeah that's what you knew were you are you naturally introverted I am I am um I can't do too much of anything (laughs) as far as being outgoing I'll probably take a nap after this. Who knows? But <laughs> I am definitely um, very, very introverted, um, which I, I learned to embrace that first, actually. And I thought that was part of the, what was wrong with me. So that was another part of my journey with that. Um, but with school and with later with work, it was more or less the same. It was, you know, people, you know, treating me as if I was an elite, if, if I was other. Um, being bullied, of course, or everything under the sun. I think people had a hard time articulating what it was that bothered them about me. So 
they would pick anything under the sun. You know, I'm ugly. I'm too dark. I'm too skinny. And that not not now, but then I was skinny. Um, I was too I was too smart, so I was teased for that, which is weird. But oh, anything that anyone could pick on, my shoes were too big. But I think that was their attempt of trying to find what that was that was disconnecting us without really understanding it themselves either. They that was just their way of lashing out. And then the same thing happens in the workplace. You, you know, you show up and you think you're just being you. You're not trying to be extra. You're not trying to be anything other than. But people it, people experience you differently. So they think that you're trying to outshine them. They think that you're trying to outdo them. And then the claws come out when they start to feel that way. So it's the sabotage. Um, it's the holding back in the career. It's the uh, smear campaigns, the rumor mills all of those things that I've experienced in the workplace. Wow. Yep. I can relate to all of that. I, and um, I, you were just reminding me of, there's this really amazing woman who um, I worked with in a mental health facility that we were working in and, and we were talking about being different. Like um, we weren't really talking about it in the gifted context. We weren't using those words, but that's what we were talking about. And we were talking about how we're kind of like the black sheep of the family and um, we're different than everyone else. And so like when I was in high school, when I was a, a senior in high school, I thought for sure I was an alien. And I remember looking at my peers at, at a pool party at a friend's house and going, they don't even see me. Like they think they, they know me and, but they, they just are seeing the plastic or like what I felt like was the alien part, like the real me was in there. And, and it was just, that was just the way it was. Like, I didn't have a feeling about it other than I had the awareness of it. And what my friend was sharing with me was that in her family, she was not only ostracized because she was introverted and loved to read and kind of would always just be in her own world reading. Like she didn't really want to go do much else because she was really enjoying her books when she was very little. So it kind of reminded me of what you were saying about how you were in kindergarten. My first book I read was a dictionary, you know, like it's just like I look back and go, well, there was a clue. Um, but <laughs> But what I, what she also said, um, when you made the comment about being too dark, she was judged by her family because her skin was so much lighter than everybody else. Mm. And that her, she, her skin was so much lighter and we know it's genetic. I mean, obviously that's how our, our skin tone comes out, but she was really judged because everybody was really dark in her family and she was significantly lighter and then and so they pushed her away even further than like her peers did and so she was really ostracized by her family because her skin was lighter than the rest of them and she didn't figure out that that was a that was not okay like because it's just how it always was since she was born yeah. mm -hmm. and um until she was in her mid 30s and then there was a lot of emotion and a lot of grief about what do you do with that? You know, how do you, how do you reconcile that? And, um, and you just reminded me of that story. Cause I really, I really felt for her when she was telling it to me. Cause I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I think God gave me a level of being just innocent and naive kind of like I just love people when I look at a person I see God with skin mm -hmm. I don't see yes. I mean anything I see 
like the color of somebody's skin. All I see is the beauty in that, not comparing to something else. So I really can credit my mother, I think, with some of that, you know, education. But that's really sad Mm -hmm. that people are that way. It makes me want to cry right now. Like your own family, you know? Huh? Your own family. Like, who would have thought that your own family would be that way? And I had a similar experience to her where I didn't really realize, like I told you, that I was being mistreated until I was well adulthood. Because you don't know what normal is, because that's all you know, is being mistreated. Right. And so then when you realize that it was mistreatment, when you get older and you realize it, there's a lot of grief to heal. And, and part of that is, of course, anger and all that. What have you done to help yourself reconcile the travesty that you had to live through in your own family? Like, what have you done to reconcile that in your adult life? I mean, you have a professional career. You are amazing woman. So what did you have to do to get yourself <laughs> in a place where you could feel really good about yourself on the inside? I first have to credit, you know, our higher power, whatever you want to call it. I think there's just something inbuilt in me that just kept me determined all through all of that, that I can't even take credit for something oh. there. Um, Consciously, I'll say once I discovered everything, um, I really went on that self-discovery journey of, okay, well, instead of me looking at myself through other people's perceptions, which I've done for 30 plus years, who am I actually? If I peel away those perceptions and those labels and those things that people threw at me, because that's the only way they could see me is through their own perceptions and labels. What's under that? The real me is somewhere under all of that. So I had to start peeling away those layers. Oh, well, being quiet isn't a bad thing. Liking reading isn't a bad thing. Being dark-skinned isn't a bad thing. Like all of these things, uh, especially in workplace settings where it's, oh, well, you know, you're you're too thoughtful or you think too much or you're, you're too this and you're too this or you're not enough this and you're not enough that. And just peeling and dissecting literally like each of those things. I had a journal and whatever would come to mind that day that I experienced, I would write down and say, okay, well, what is this? This is how I experienced it, but what really is it? And I had to force myself. It didn't come naturally to me. I'm better with it now, but I had to force myself to really think through it. Okay, this is what they threw at me. This is what they're saying. Is there truth to it? Because in all fairness and self-development, maybe there is something that I could do better or differently. And I want to hold myself accountable to that too. But, you know, what's all that other stuff that doesn't need to be there? Mm-hmm. And just taking that out and working with what's left, which was me. Yeah, that's really smart. I think journaling and really paying attention to what the truth is mm-hmm. really matters. Because when we realize that, as I say to everybody, what anyone says is about themselves. So when I'm in those kind of bullying situations or people, you know, are attacking because they don't understand or they're mm-hmm. afraid. Um, that's great that I can understand that process, but it's still not okay to bully, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't excuse away the behavior and it doesn't excuse away the consequence of the behavior, mm-hmm. even though we understand it, right? right. And, and I think that's important to remind ourselves that we can understand it all day long, 
and it's still not okay. Right. And that's kind of where I am personally and with my work, you know, the things that I put out on LinkedIn, that's what I'm trying to put out to the world. This happens to people. People go through this. There are people in your organizations or in your family that treat people like this. That's not okay. You need to shed light on it and you need to be responsible and accountable for that behavior. And how do we change that? That's really the underpinning of why I want to do what I want to do. Right. That's part, that's your vision. That's like your soul. Like when you said, you know, you weren't allowed to give up because there was a higher calling within you that was going to come through no matter what it kept you going. And I, when you said that, I'm like, oh, yep. I remember how many times I said, I quit. I'm going to go be the blue light special lady at Kmart. And say, shepherds. I'm done, done, done. And, and I, and then, but I wasn't allowed like on a soul level, like I wasn't allowed to do that, but I can't tell you how many times like this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. This world is too insane. It's too negative. It's too toxic. There's so much bullying going around. And all I'm trying to do is something good and nice. And I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to say I was perfect because I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And you still don't need, it's just still as tricky is the way I see it. So what do you see if we could go ahead 20 years, 50 years? Mm-hmm. What would you like to be the reverberating kind of impact of Nicole White's world on the world? What's the impact that you, oh, I'm getting goosebumps that you would just really love to see as a result of your work? I love that question. I don't want to leave the world in a place where my gifted son has to go through the same things I did or my gifted grandchildren. Because, you know, it could be hereditary. There's research on that. But, you know, my son is definitely, definitely gifted too. So how do I change the world in a way that these conversations are no longer necessary? I guess if that makes sense. How do we change the world into something where people just are people who treat people with basic regard and respect, regardless of their intellectual ability or their skin color or their sex or their gender, whatever, however they identify. How do we get there? Um, And I want my work to be able to empower people to both hold themselves accountable and also learn any skill um, necessary to be able to do that. Um, So personally speaking, um, with your own self-development, how do you dissect yourself in the way that I described earlier. How do you do that so that you can identify those areas that you need to change in order to be that person in in workplaces? You know, how do, there's so many leaders who are just not competent in leadership. I I hate to say it that way. It sounds snooty, but that's the truth. (laughs) Kind of direct. It it, it just is. Um, They may be technically skilled, but they have no people leadership skills or very little. Um, or very little emotional control. So how do we get those skills to those leaders? And how do we address the character issue that that we have nowadays? There is definitely a character issue that we have, especially in leadership. How do we rid organizations uh, of those people so that we have good um, people of good character, people of good skill of leadership who want to see people and organizations thrive? in the right roles. It seems very reversed now where you have people who have those skills being held back or held down or held away. And you have the people who aren't so much <laughs> in the positions that maybe they shouldn't be. How do we change that? How do we flip that dynamic? 
so that people aren't leaving work stress, you know, having mental issues, mental illness issues caused by their work environments and all the things that we see nowadays. Right. Well, there's, a, and there's a big consequence to being in such a toxic, topsy-turvy, upside-down environment, whether it's at home or at work and, you know, or both. And our culture is totally upside down and topsy-turvy. And we were talking about that a little bit before we hit record. And so what do we do, right, to help get the ship going in the right direction? So part of it's education. Um, Part of it is awareness. And part of it is setting a standard and and being the role model for the standard, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because I think one of the mistakes people make is they they think that everybody knows what they know. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. And also we're taught that everybody thinks the same. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. No two people think the same. Like the whole neurodiversity conversation is not even close to where it needs to be because everyone is neurodiverse. There is no such thing as two people doing it the same way. It's just like our fingerprints are different. Mm -hmm. And that is independent of all of the typical external things. That's a neurological thing. That's a biology thing. That's of Mm -hmm. course impacted by the environment and everything, but it goes way deeper and there's much more to diversity than sexuality or skin color or whatever. It's way bigger than that. And I mean, I've done a lot of diversity training and I've had to sit through them and all these other things in my whole career. And I'm like, but there's more than that, that what everybody's talking about isn't enough. And it outrages me because of the limiting belief or the limiting content you know that um is placed on something that i don't even know why it's even a discussion i mean i know why it's a discussion academically but i don't resonate with it because i don't i don't that's not how i do the world right you know i i have a person i'm working with who is um from columbia and really cool dude and you know part of the beginning work was you know, am I getting all these opportunities because of my race, because of now what's going on in the world? I said, well, actually you're getting all these opportunities because you're damn good at what you do and you've earned it. And he goes, yeah, I guess I have. I said, okay, so that's the truth. The truth is you earned it. That's the truth. Where you come from is kind of cool and trippy and neat, but mm-hmm. that's not, that alone didn't get you where you are. Right. You know, like you, we look at, <laughs> I was just thinking about Serena Williams. She did not get where she was based only on her race. She didn't. Because if it was only on that, she would never have made it. Exactly. She had to work her butt off to get there on multiple levels, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way. And to just show up with her A game often, even in the face of adversity. It wasn't just that. And it annoys me <laughs> and it annoys me so much when people say it's only because of somebody's race or their heritage, or they look like this, or they're from there or whatever it is. I don't So, so beyond that. And I, I look at that two ways. If you look at it systematically, perhaps it's intentional, who knows, um, in trying to keep, you know, the status quo going. Um, but also 
being in the learning and development and consulting space, one of the things I run into that also drives me nuts that's similar to this mm-hmm. is the fact that you're, I guess, taught or instructed to teach, to dumb things down, essentially. You're, you're water things down so much in an organizational training environment that people don't leave trainings really learning anything more than what they already do, um, save for maybe a bullet point or two. Uh, that to me is related to what you just said and the fact that it's intentionally watered down because the thought is well people can't handle that or it's too much or it's too complicated and that could be true in some instances but at what point do we go beyond that we've been talking like you said about race and gender for decades now and here we are still having this conversation so something more has to happen you know right right and then you add on it being gifted and processing differently Mm -hmm. and all the other, I think it's really cool stuff. <laughs> I just dig it. But I also watch people go, oh, you work with, the, like I tell people, I work, I'm an intuitive mentor and I work with gifted, creative people. And unless I'm talking to a gifted person or an open-minded person, I hear, what? You work with who? What? And and then the, then the judgment comes. And um, I've worked a lot in substance abuse. Oh, those people. And I just, I've learned over the years, instead of to defend it, I say, we're like a visa card. We're everywhere you want to be. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, and kind of just kind of derail that ignorance because ignorance and innocence are the same vibration. So when we realize that, that they're the same vibration, then maybe the person just doesn't know. And maybe it is calculated and maybe they do know, but who are we to assign motive? Right. You know, it's us on our role. Our role is to bring awareness. Our role is to take a stand for what's right. So let's talk for a minute about quiet quitting. Yes. It's a big topic out there in the world. Um, you're an expert in, in this area because this is what you do um, in, the, in the corporate training, psychology, industrial space. And funny, after um, we talked about you coming on the show and we were emailing about it, quiet quitting is part of our conversation. Within a week, seven or eight, I don't know, maybe more, videos and posts showed up in my feed on all my social media about quiet quitting. No accident there that we're being tracked and traced. I wasn't seeing any before that even though I know it's a thing, right? Like, I go, oh, that's interesting. Um, so what are your thoughts about quiet quitting? And maybe define it a little bit for the listeners in case they're not sure what we're talking about. And, and how does that affect gifted people? How does that affect women? How does that affect somebody who's trying to make it in the world or maybe trying to do the right thing? but yet has this energy around them. Like, how does that work? Like, how, what do supervisors do when their people are doing that? Like, will you just talk a little bit about that? I just, cause I, I think the impact is, is much different than what is being not said out there in the world. Agreed, yes. So it, the simplest de- definition of quiet fitting that's out there is when people show up to work, they do the bare minimum just to get their paycheck. They don't put any extra effort and, you know, they go home and do what they feel that they're paying for, essentially. 
um, in the traditional environment of, you know, showing up to work and putting in your extra effort and being gung-ho and woo rah rah um, a lot of leaders are a little nervous about, you know, that mindset because they feel like they're not getting, um, I guess, all that they can get from their employees. I have an opinion about what you'll say for later, <laughs> but generally that that's what the basic conversation is. Now it's veered off into different subsections from what I see in different articles where you have people who say that, you know, this isn't new. People have been doing this for years. You show up to work, you do what you got to do and you go home because people, especially from a diversity space, you have people who are marginalized, you know, disabled people, you know, colored people of color who show up and have to go through so much in a workspace. It doesn't motivate them to want to do any more or anything more than what they're paid to do to go home to feed their families. So that's been going on forever. So really that's not new. I mean, and not just for marginalized people, everyone has faced some some type of um, hardship in the workplace and sure bullying and all of that. So when you have all of those dynamics that we were talking about earlier in a workplace setting, who would want to show up <laughs> and you know right. give more than you know what they're paid to do? They're there to feed their family because they have to. Uh, organizations are really structured right now to well, most, I won't say all, most organizations aren't structured to have people want to show up and want to do more, especially with other obligations. People have families, they have, you know, maybe disabilities they're working uh, working through or, you know, mental illness, physical illness, you know, dealing with what's going on in the world, all of these things that organizations don't account for. They just expect you come, you show up and give 110 and we don't really care about the rest of you as a person. So I think that's kind of, there's two folds to the debate. You have leaders who are saying, you know, well, this is a problem because we don't want half engaged employees showing up and you have employees showing up saying, well, you need to do something to make me want to be more <laughs> engaged in this. So there's two sides that are at odds. And then there's the whole quiet firing thing that kind of spun off uh, the quiet quitting where bosses are, you know, quietly gathering cases and gathering information to quietly get rid of people they don't want in the workplace. So it's it's spinning out of control right now. And I, I like you said, I don't think people are really near zeroing in on what actually needs to be talked about is the workplace environment and the problems within that, which is causing all of this. Instead of pointing fingers at leaders or employees, it's the structure of the actual work environment that it, that's causing this issue. That makes sense. That makes total sense to me that it's the environment. Where do you think entitlement comes into play with this? Is is entitlement part of this dynamic or not? What do you think? My initial response would be no. But I do know just from experience and being in the leadership position in the past that you do have some employees who show up and are entitled and or try to take advantage of the system. And I think, to be fair, I think that might be some of the concern of leaders as well is, well, how do you mitigate, you know, those type of employees and how do you differentiate them from, you know, your typical employee who just needs more to be engaged? So there, there is a subset of people who take advantage of the situation. And I think that might be what that could be alluding to. Um, then that's a tough one. And I think that has to do more with performance management skills of leadership, um, leaders being more in tune with their teams um, as people and, and 
more so than the technical aspect of being a leader, you know, just making sure you're pressing the buttons and that's all I care about. But who, who, who do I have on my team as people? Who is this person that I have? And teaching leaders uh, rapport building and, and uh, getting to know their employees um, and skills of that nature to make sure that they have a deeper understanding of the people on their team um, so that they can better manage those type of things. But I, I think that's also multidimensional to you. Um, or geared to organizational development, but I definitely think um, leaders are are not equipped to deal with a lot of what they're faced with now. The workplace has changed drastically, I'd say, in the last definitely five years, five to ten years mm-hmm. from what we're used to, and most leaders are still trying to lead from the traditional model where it's not jelly. So what we're seeing with quiet quitting and all these other things, all these other uh, terms and phenomena coming up is that clash between leaders trying to lead in the old way that's just not working because the nature of work and people in the world has just changed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because I I hear people say, I want to go back to the old way and, and people, this is how it's always been done. And I just say, well, the universe is always expanding in unity, diversity, and complexity. Everything's always moving forward. We cannot go back. We cannot hold on. And maybe it's part of being willing to grow and evolve as an organization, as mm-hmm. a leader, as an employee. Like I think it, it's on all of us. The onus is on all of us to be a little bit more open or a lot more open in some cases and be willing to grow and evolve and be open-minded to the way to do things. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so to answer the, the rest of your question, <laughs> you mentioned um, the specific impacts on different groups of people as far as women and um, being gifted. I think with being gifted, uh, I'm, I'm having flashbacks as I say this, but it was being gifted, quiet quitting becomes somewhat of a survival mechanism in a workplace. If you're in a work environment and you have all of these capabilities that maybe you're not using either because you don't know that they're there or your environment just doesn't dictate that you can. And you're forced to, you know, operate at a level that's below your capacity. I don't know how else to say that. But then you you have some some cognitive dissonance going on. You have some push and pull going on there where, you know, especially if you don't know you're gifted because you're trying to fit in, you're not quite sure why you're experiencing this. It doesn't quite make sense to you. And you try, you try for as much as you try. It's not going to work because you're just wired differently, but you don't know that. So you just end up tuning out a lot. You end up doing the bare minimum, which you can bear because that's really what your mind can take until you can make sense of the rest of what's going on with you or not with you, but with the situation in general. And so I think it's just what people do just to get by. You have to put food on the table. Um, If your circumstance hasn't dictated that you could, you know, get a college degree or training or whatever it is for you to get a different type of position, let's say you have to, you know, be that lady at Kmart for, you know, whatever, for lack of a better description. And, you know, that's not fulfilling that creative soul that you have inside you, but you have to do it with the food on the table. So you you have to show up somewhat disengaged just to make that work. Otherwise, you're internally, mentally frazzled and fried and not in a good place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, I think, I think 
a lot of quiet quitting too. I think there's a lot of just survival mechanism. Either I'm being ignored or I, I have more to give and you're not listening or whatever. I think there's a I think that it has been going on for a long time as a survival skill when we're not people aren't being appreciated or understood or they're not looked at as people, they're looked at as numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's the companies who want everything out of you and they're the first to lay you off or fire you or not care if something happens. Everyone's yeah. dispensable. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's so there's just so many layers. It's, it's so faceted. There's so many layers. Um, and then you add in, you know, somebody's heritage or their skin color or how they identify or do they wear their hair weird? What is weird? You know, like all of those things, like to me, something that might be totally normal. Somebody else might go, that is like really weird, you know? And I'm like, what do you mean? That's yeah, cool. like my hair. <laughs> I get that all the time. Like it's not professional, but yeah, it's not. Well, Times are changing now, but it's definitely still a, a mindset that braids aren't professional. It's like, well, my hair doesn't do straight. So either you get this or afro. <laughs> Pick one. Well, I am, I am, I secretly wish I could have braids like that. Good. My hair's too fine. They come out. No, it won't. There's a way to there's if a way. I were to if I was to meet you in person, I could do it. I'm into Philly. I'm <laughs> Philly and you're listening to me how to do it because I'm like, really cool braids. I'm like, I want really cool braids. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. I'm coming, I'm coming up and you're going to show me and then that'll be really fun. Um, awesome. And so, and it's funny because my hair was really, really straight like this all growing up and I just had it um, cut because if you were to catch me right after I wash it, it's extremely curly now because it's getting curlier as I get older and I don't know what to do with curly hair. This is all, it's like all a new thing. And <laughs> And I think that being open-minded and loving to learn and keep growing, it's, it's fine. It's fun. Like, okay, I'll do mm-hmm. something different instead of I still have to go back white, you know, get all mad that it's not still what, the way it used to be. Cause yeah, we can't go back. Okay. So I have one last question because I could talk to you forever, but I'm also mm-hmm. very aware that you generously um, offered your time for this conversation and I'm getting so much out of it. And so if somebody's listening to you and they've already probably hit all your social media and websites, cause that's what my listeners do. They love to go and research people and stuff because they're gifted and they're listening to you and they're like, but how can I be part of the solution? What can I like my little own lonely self? I don't work at a big company or maybe they do like, what are some tangible actions like two or three that the listener can hear our conversation and say, I can do that. I can be part of the solution. That's something I can do. It's a tangible action. I think the first thing that um, I've just now begun to do is to use your voice. Um, Because we were brought up to think that we were wrong or weird. A lot of times we don't really say what's on our mind or say what we think. But our different perspectives could be that, that one thing that can change things. It could be a catalyst for your environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're frozen, Diane. Are you still hearing me? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Your, your face is frozen. Okay. So um, don't be afraid to speak up and share those different perspectives that you have, because those are, are what the world needs. Uh, those are the catalysts for the change that we are we're wanting to see. Um, so it can be scary, but, and people around you may not understand what you're talking about, or they may, you know, make jokes or it, it, that whole chestnut, but don't be afraid. 
good because there could be that one person that you could impact. Um, I would also say, don't be afraid to embrace fully who you are um, outside of the perceptions of others. Um, you, you won't be able to make that impact in the world that you're looking to do until you're able to do that. You have to peel away those layers first to discover what your purpose is and how you're supposed to contribute. Your answers are going to be hidden under all of that. So don't be afraid to, to buck the status quo, to divert, um, and, and be who you really internally feel like you are meant to be. Oh, that's perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. Um, so I have one last question for you. Yes. And that is if we were going to have a billboard that the whole world was going to see with your quote on it, the whole world now is going to see this billboard with Nicole White's quote, what quote would we put on that billboard? Good question. There's a mountain of things popping into my head. I don't know which one. <laughs> you can get a couple. <laughs> I would say... I would say you're enough just as you are. And I would want that, you know, whoever's driving by that highway sign to, to see that and feel something from it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also say, I guess perhaps what I just said, don't be afraid to challenge the status quo and be different. Right. Yeah. Like speaking your truth even if it's a little scary, mm -hmm. it's okay. Yes. And understanding that, I think you mentioned it earlier, that when people do that, when they say bad things or bully you, that's, that's their fear response. Um, understanding that people are actually potentially afraid of you or afraid of your ideas or afraid of what you can become. Um, so their words don't mean that you're broken or that something's wrong with you. Their words are an expression of their own fear, and their own insecurities that have nothing to do with you. So yeah. for that is it's huge. And I like it. This is all relatively new about um, it's it's snapping for me finally. And I'm just now starting to really internalize all of this. So whenever I learn, I want to share that with other people. So just, you don't learn anything from everything, anything I said today. Just internalize that their words are not reflections of you it's a reflection of their fear of you yeah that's beautiful and and i want to thank you for being here on someone gets me with me <laughs> someone gets me with me and <laughs> um for being really honest about what it's like being in your shoes and how it is and sharing with me how we've had to navigate this crazy insane world and we're continuing to do it and i totally support the work that you're doing I will always be supporting your work. I'm a fan. <laughs> and um, likewise. And I'm really glad to know you and to know that you are putting that beautiful spirit of yours out into the world. I see it through your eyes. I feel it when I talk to you. And I just want to thank you for following your own vision and using your voice. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for the work you've done over all these years. And like I said, finding you and finding your website and talking with you has really aided in my waking up journey. I guess we're going to call it that, my waking up journey. So you're a treasure to us. So thank you for this platform. 
Oh, thank you so much. So remember everybody to um, check out all Nicole's information in the show notes and go follow her on LinkedIn if you haven't already and check out her website. She's doing a lot of amazing, amazing things. And so remember, put your face to the sun so the shadow falls behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a purpose. And it's your turn to speak your voice in a respectful, healthy manner. It's your turn to stand up in your own sovereignty and be who you're meant to be. That's the truth. Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.